0: Open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We are continuing to study through this marvelous book of the Bible. And in John 17, in our Lord's Prayer, we have noticed that a number of words have been repeated, like the word give, which is used 17 times. Or different forms of the word. Or the word glory, used eight times. Or the word they, them, the men, the ones, this group of people. It's used 49 times. Or Christ Jesus referring to himself. Can you take a guess on how many times Jesus refers to himself in this prayer? Over 70 times Jesus refers to himself. But there's another word that is used over and over in this prayer. Does anyone know what word it is? It's the word world. It's found 18 times In the prayer. Do you have a Bible? Look down at it. You can start counting the number of times the word world is used. It begins in verse 5. And it goes right down through to verse 25. You see, this prayer is a prayer where our Lord Jesus Christ places himself at the center Asking, first of all, he would be glorified. It's in verse 1. Father, glorify your son. Do you see that in verse 1? Jesus commands the Father, glorify me. He does it again in verse 5. This passage is focused on Jesus. But as the Lord Jesus focuses on himself, he draws in this group of men. They could be called Christians. They could be called believers. They can be called the church. They can be called sheep. They can be called his people. And they're all through this prayer so that we could say this. The prayer of our Lord Jesus is praying for himself to be glorified through his church. Did you follow that? What's this prayer about? Jesus wants to be glorified through his church. I ask you, when you pray, do you pray like that? Are your prayers dominated by thoughts of Christ and his church? When you pray, do you pray that way? Even when you pray for your children, are the prayers for your children always connected to Christ and You see, there is a deep spiritual emphasis on all of our Lord's teachings that we have largely lost. Churches around the world largely focus on things we can see, things we can touch, how do I feel, rather than this, the glory of Christ in his church. But if we learn to pray like Jesus, we will experience a real revival. Because what is revival? Except an emphasis on Jesus Christ in his prayers for his people. What else is revival except that? When the soul is mastered by Christ alone. But now, did you hear what I did? I just took in all the key terms except one which one in that in the last two minutes where I was just explaining I just I just explained the prayer of our Lord right Jesus prays for his own glory through what through the church but what's the key term that I that I left out the world friends how does the world fit into this when you pray how should you think about the world Should you pray for the world? Who is the world? What is the world? Brothers and sisters, John wants to be understood. He's not complicated. In fact, did you know that John, above all the writers of the Bible, chooses the most common words and repeats them more than any other author? Let me give you a few words that John uses more than any other writer in the Bible. Can you think of any? Love. Love. The Apostle John uses the word love more than any writer in the Old or the New Testaments. Another word that John uses more than any other writer. Can you think of one? Believe. Believe. John uses the word believe or faith more than any other writer in the entire Bible, including the book of Psalms. He also uses the word World. More than any other writer in the entire Bible. By far more than any other. And this chapter, John 17, references the world by far more than any other chapter in the entire Bible. Also, Son of God. John speaks about the Son of God more than any other author in the Bible. And there are other words that are repeated. Here's the point. When Jesus prayed, yes, he was focusing on himself. Yes, he was praying for the church. But the world features prominently. So today's message is a theology of the world. Today's message is trying to teach you Who is the world? That's the first point of my sermon. Who is the world? Who is this? Number two, what does Christ do to the world? Why is the world in this prayer? That's the second point. Are you with me? Your eyes work hard to stay with me. Number one, who is the world? What what, what is the world? Who is it? I'm going to give you a definition. Number two, what is Jesus doing in the world, to the world, through the world, for the world? And then number three, what does the church do for the world or in the world? Let's see these three together. Look in verse 11. Verse 11. And now I am no more where. Look, everyone look down at verse 11. And now I am no more where. In the world. But these are where? These people are where in verse 11? Where are these people? In the world. Number one, Christians are in the world, but now look down at verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Do you see that in verse 14? They are not of the world. Number two, the Christians are not of the world. The message today is very simple. Christians are in the world, but they are not of the world. That's the message. In the world, but not of the world. Christians are in the world. Christians are not of the world. What does this mean? It means this. We need to understand who the world is. Let's start in verse 5. Go quickly to verse 5. If you have a pen, you can underline. Does anyone need a pen? If you have a pen, you can underline all the uses of the word world. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me with your own self, with the glory which I had with you before The world was. Before the world was. Jesus and the Father had perfect honor and glory before the world. Friends, in verse 5, who is the world? It's all of creation. Before the Father and the Son made the stars, the moon, the earth, the planets. Before they made the trees and the mountains and the lions and the elephants. Before Adam and Eve. The Father and the Son had eternal glory. That's verse 5. Who is the world in verse 5? Answer, all creation. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men which you gave me out of where? Verse 6, out of the world. I have declared your name to the ones that you gave me from what place? From the world. So these men were taken from a pool. And that pool is the world. Oh, in verse 6, the world means people. But in verse 5, the world means creation. If you have a pen, you can mark that. You don't have to. But just to understand the definition. What what is world? Well, in verse 5, the world is all creation. And in verse 6, it's the men of creation. Notice in verse 6. I have declared your name. To the men you gave me out of the world. It is as if God the Father was walking through rows and rows of graves. And those graves made up the world. And he pondered and contemplated all men, not yet created. But the Father looked forward and saw all men who would be formed and would be made. And he saw all the vendas in their rows of graves. And he saw the Tsongas in their rows, lost in the deadness of their sin. And God the Father said, I'll take that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. And he gave that group called in Revelation chapter 7 an uncountable number. He gave that group to who? To the Son of God. Are you in that group? Are you in the group where the Father walked through and said before the world was, I'll take that one and give it to my Son. He gave a people to His Son from where? From the world. He gave a people to his son. From this pool. Of sinners. That's found in Romans 9 verse 21. When Jesus says. I'm sorry. When Paul says this. Cannot the potter. Take from the same lump of clay. And make one vessel to honor. And another vessel to dishonor. That's a picture of a potter. Who's the potter? God. Who is the clay? The world. God, uh, Jesus Christ came down to the world full of sin, And he took some of that world, some of that clay, but that clay had fallen on the ground and been rolled around in the dirt and had straw and sticks and hay and leaves in it. It had little rocks and pebbles, it was now dirty. And if you were trying to make a perfectly smooth pot, you would take that lump of clay and what would you do with it? You would throw that lump of clay away. But what did the potter do with that lump of clay? Even though the clay had fallen down, it had been mixed with mud and muck and sticks and dirt and leaves, even though it had every kind of filth in it. What did the potter do? He took that lump of clay, that world, and he pinched off a portion of the clay and he twisted it and molded it. And you say, you can't do anything with it. It's so dirty, it's defiled. But look at that potter. He's so amazing that he can take something filthy and broken and dirty, something that you would throw away, something that Lucifer would throw away, something that the angels would throw away, something that all sensible humans and corporations, they'd throw it away and say, write that off as a loss. In our business um, ledgers, we've just incurred a loss. That clay is good for nothing. But the father didn't do that. And the son didn't do that. Romans 9 verse 21. He took the clay and he formed it. Some vessels for honor and some vessels what? For dishonor. Romans 9 21 is the explanation of John 17 verse 6. And both verses teach. Infralapsarianism. For those of you who are interested in the Theology. What does our Lord do? He says, out from that lump of clay, I've taken my people. That's verse six. So who is the world in verse five? Creation. Who is the world in verse six? People. Who is the world in verse nine? Go to verse nine. I pray for them. I do not pray for who? Oh, These are sinners. In verse 9, who's the world? These are lost and hopeless sinners. People for whom Christ does not pray. Friends, when Jesus says he does not pray for them, he means he does not pray for them as a high priest. He actually does pray for the world. In Matthew 9 verses 37 to 38 he says pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus does actually pray for the world. In the book of Matthew it records when he's on the cross. I'm sorry in the book of Luke uh, on the cross he says father forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Who is he praying for but sinners who are lost and undone. When he says here in John 17 verse 9, I do not pray for them. What he means is I don't pray for them in the same way that I pray for the sheep. And I'll tell you, I know what he means there. Because I pray for Carson in a way that I don't pray for Nao. Almost every day I pray for this man. About twice a week I pray for that man. When I pray for this man, I sometimes get distracted thinking about him 20 and 30 years into the future. When I pray for this man, from time to time I might get tears in my eyes. It's much less common that I do that for others. Now, I love everyone. I want to pray for them. There's a different relationship I have. Our Lord Jesus prays for the whole world in some passages of the Bible. But in other places and in a different way, he prays for his sheep alone. And that should not surprise us. Because he died for the world. John 1 verse 29. But in a special way. He dies for his sheep. He prays for the world. But in a special way. He prays for his people. John 17 verse 9. I ask you. Does Jesus pray for you this way? Look into your heart right now. Does Jesus pray for you in this way? Right now before the Father, is he praying for you like a sheep? John 17, verse 9, the world here means people, sinners. Look at verse 11. Who is the world here in verse 11? And now I am no more in the world. In the world. Oh, Jesus is about to die. He's going to leave the world. But look in verse 11. But these are in the world. Oh, Jesus is not in the world anymore, but the believers are in the world. The world there is this earth. Who is the word world in verse 11? In verse 11, it's the planet. Who is? Is the world. The word world means everything God's created down here on earth. It means the whole story from Adam and Eve to today. That includes the people, and it includes the planet, and it includes the events and the time and the history. When Jesus says the word world, he means the whole story, the whole collection, the whole action. He means the whole army that stands up in rebellion against God. Almost always, In the Bible, the word world is written of in opposition to God. Notice in verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Opposition. I chose my people from out of where? I take them out of the world. Who is the world? It's this whole collection, this whole army, this whole pool, this lake, this family, this nation Their whole history and their heritage and their culture and their realm. All of them. And their sinful way of life and their lifestyle and their culture and their habits and their actions and their activities. It's the whole history from Adam and Eve down to today. Some Bible commentators get confused on this point. What they do is this. They want to say... The word world has many meanings. That's not true. The word world has one main meaning, but it's a complex meaning that includes all of these ideas. And you knew that. If I told you, if I told you the story of the world is a big story, would you be confused about what I'm talking about? Or you would say, oh, he's talking about Egypt and Europe and Africa. He's talking about South America and Brazil. He's talking about the Indians and the Chinese and, and everything they've done for all the world. You wouldn't be confused if you heard of a book and the title of the book was The Story of the World. Would you say to yourself, I'm just so confused. Is this book going to be talking about the planet Or the galaxies, you would know a book that says, the title is The Story of the World. It's going to tell us about humans and how they lived on the earth and what they did over many hundreds and thousands of years. It's really not difficult. And that should not surprise us because John is not writing a technical book to trick people. One commentator that I read said this, The word world is a technical term. No, it's not. And he says John even changes his his technical meanings in the same sentence. No, he doesn't. The word world is a fairly simple term, but it's a very broad term. And that's not difficult. You can get it. The Bible is written to be understood. Kids, you can get it. What does the word world mean? It basically means the whole creation of God, including his people, including um, sinners and sin and their lifestyle and their nations. It's the whole group in opposition against God. It's everything you see in Ukraine and Russia right now, it includes the tanks. It includes the guns. It includes the economy and game stores and macro and checkers and pick and pay. It includes you and your family. It includes racism and war and murder. It includes courts and economies. It includes schools. It's a very broad term. And Jesus includes it here because he's comparing that With himself and his people. This whole world is described by Jesus as the place that his people must live and the place in which he came down to. Notice in verse 15. I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. Oh, these people are left in the world. And in verse 11, he himself was in the world. That's what he says in John chapter 1. He came to his own. Jesus was outside of the world. He made the world, and then he comes down into it. That's called the incarnation or Christmas. That miracle baffles the Muslims. That wonder amazes the animists. That marvel overcomes the post-moderns of the day. That God can be outside of his creation and yet come down into it. But that again proves our definition. What is the world? Who is the world? It's basically everything that is not God or the church or his people. It's a very broad term and that's how it's meant. That's why in Colossians 1, which we're going to see tonight, it says, He is going through the world, reconciling all things to himself. Right. The world is everything that opposes God. Everything that's not the church or his people or Jesus, that all counts as the world. But since it's such a broad term, sometimes he refers to the people specifically. Sometimes he refers to their sinful lifestyle. For example, when he writes in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world. What does he mean there? Do not love the world. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, do not love the world. Does he mean do not love the mountains? No, he's being very, it's clear. Don't love the sinful part of the world. Notice this in verse 14. What else do we know about the world? Verse 14. I've given them your word, And what has the world done to them? What has the world done in verse 14? Hated them. Why would the world hate them? Oh, that's it. The world hates them because they're now connected to Jesus. They would have no reason to hate them before. Remember, remember, where did these people come from? Where did this group come from? Came from the world. Verse 6. I chose them out of the world. John 17 verse 6. The father comes down to the world. Remember the dirty clay? What does he do with the dirty clay? He pinches off some dirt and he makes something beautiful. He goes back to that dirty, filthy lump of clay. He takes out some more and he forms it into something beautiful. He comes back to that dirty lump of clay. What is the lump of clay? It's the world. Jesus goes right down there. Oh, but when Jesus touches the clay, suddenly the rest of the clay looks and says, Oh, no thanks. We don't like you anymore. And you say, but but I'm clay just like you. No, no, no. You were touched by him and we hate him. But, but I'm clay like you. And you were touched by him. No, no, you're too much like him. And so they hate They hate the clay that's been touched by Jesus because it's now like Jesus. Look in verse 14. It tells you that. I've given them your word and the world hated me. Why? Because they are not of the world. And then look at the next word. What's the next word after they are not of the world? What's the very next word? No, 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 no. In verse 14... Just as, does your say just as? What, what does the New King James say there? Just as. just as, even as, just as. That word just as is another word that John uses more than any other writer. John compares Jesus with this dirty clay that's been formed into his sheep. And John says, oh, now those people, where were they in the past? Where were they? They were in the world, but I took them out of the world. I cleaned them up. I pulled the dirt out. I made them beautiful pots. I did this and now they are like me just as I have been. They had been like the world, but now they're as me. In verse 14, just as I am not of the world, I made those people the way I am. I'm making them holy. I am holy. The world is not holy. I'm taking them out of the world and I'm making them like me. That's why the world hates them. The world had no reason to hate them when they were sinful. But now that they are out of the world, now the world hates them. That's what our Lord is teaching here. Why does the world hate Christians? Because they're like Jesus. The world hates these Christians because they are like Jesus. How do we see the hatred of the world? Where do we see it? They oppose our message. John 1 verse 11. They don't want to listen to our message. Acts 17 verse 32. How else do we see that they oppose our message? They want to steal your children. They are trying to teach your children every kind of worldliness because they want to send your children to hell. They, the world despises your children. The world hates your soul and would steal your soul. The world would break the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. The world would murder your soul and the souls of your children. They would send your children's souls to a lake of fire for all eternity. How else do we see that the world hates Christians, because anything that's touched by Christianity, the world opposes. Look at what they do with the family. The world hates the family, so it allows anything to count as a marriage. The world hates the family, so they'll give easy divorce laws, so that a man may marry his wife, and then, oh, so easily he can divorce her. And the government will allow those easy divorce laws, because the world hates the biblical family. The world hates manhood. So as soon as men start to act like men, they're going to call it toxic masculinity. The world hates manhood because God is a father and Jesus is a son. The world hates manhood because it's in the Bible. And so the world's going to attack it. The world hates womanhood, so they're going to call it feminism. What is feminism? Feminism is the idea that men are so stupid, women should be just like them. Because rather than having women be beautiful and glorious just the way they are, no, we will not have it. Women should be changed. Women should become like men. Men are toxically, toxic and poisonous and evil and we hate them and we want women to be just like them. The Bible teaches, rather, women are glorious and they should be glorious the way God has made them. Men are glorious and men should be glorious the way God has made them. But of course, our world hates anything that is Christian. Our world hates capitalism. Capitalism is simply freedom in money. Freedom in money. Get your hands off my money, I'll get my hands off your money. That's capitalism. The world hates that. So they invent many schemes to overcome freedom with money. Freedom with money is rooted in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal. You're not free to steal. Why? Because your money is your money and I cannot do what? I can't take it. My money is mine and you cannot? I can't take what's not mine. It's clarified in Ephesians 4 verse 28. Where it says, The one who stole, let him steal no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the good things so that he may have enough to give to the person who has a need. Really what I should do is stop stealing, go work for myself, save up my money, and then when this guy has a need, oh, oh, I'd love to help you, let me give to you. And you should work very hard to do the same thing. That's Christian, but the world hates it. So they tried to overthrow that that economic system. And on and on it goes. The world hates believers. Who is the world? The answer is the world is the army that is in rebellion against God and has been so for 6,000 years. The world is the big story of everything that's happening that's not Jesus, God, or the church. But now, let me ask you this. What is Jesus doing with the world? Why does he even include the world? Well, he's doing a lot with the world. We've covered some of the things. He's living in the world. He came down to the world. Well, notice this. In verse number 18. As you sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. There's the as two more times, by the way. Do you see it? In the same way that you did this to me, in that same way, I'm doing it to them. That's why the world hates, because we are very much like Christ. We are little Christs, Christians. Now, notice this in verse 18. Where does Jesus send the people? He's sending them into the world. In verse 15, he leaves them in the world. In verse 18, he sends them into the world. Friends, when you become converted, you have a real goal. You have a mission. And there's two ways to say the mission. One way to say it is verse 19. Look at verse 19. For their sakes, that's the Christians. For the sake of the Christians, I sanctify myself so that they also might be what? Number one is sanctification. Why does Jesus leave you in the world? Verse 19. What's the answer? Sanctification. Sanctification. There's one reason that once you're saved, there's two reasons, but the first one is this in verse 19. He leaves you here to become holy. That's what we're studying on Sunday nights. And tonight I'm going to give a a lecture on, on logic. How can we think? How can we be wise in our thinking? Why? We want to be holy. We want to think like God thinks. Why does God leave you in the world? Why does God send you into the world? Number one, so that you would be sanctified. One reason you're still in the world, sanctification. He wants you to become holy. Are you doing that? Is your whole life directed around sanctification? Or if we looked more carefully, we'd realize, honestly, our lives are directed more around comfort. Jesus sends us to be sanctified. But there's a second reason he sends us. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. So that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they also may be one in us. So that the world may believe. Do you see that? They're sent so that the world may believe. Look down to verse 23. I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know. Oh, in verse 21, the world must believe. In verse 23, what must the world do? Believe in twenty-one. Know in twenty-three. What else in twenty-three? They have to know that you sent me and that you loved me, as you love uh, you love them as you loved me. They've got to see something about love. There's belief and knowledge and love, friends. You are left in this world for two purposes: sanctification and saving sinners. That's it. There is no other reason that you're left in the world. You are here to become holy and you are here to get others to go with you. That's the only reason you're still in this dirty stinking pool. That's the only reason you're left in this amidst this deadly army where they hate you and attack you on all sides. Yes, there are other elements to the beauty of God's creation. Yes, there are wonderful blessings that God has put here on this earth. But all of them, every single one of them, is mediated through Christ. When Jesus presents the world in John 17, he does not present one positive aspect of it. So if someone hears this and wants to say, Oh, Seth, you're too negative. You need to speak about all the blessings that are in the world. In John 17, Jesus talks to the Father and he doesn't mention one blessing, not one positive thing. He tells us, I've left you in the world to become holy and I left you in the world to lead sinners to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what is the whole point behind Grace Bible Church? The whole point is we're trying to reach sinners. Do you not hear the prayer that we prayed today? That long prayer that I prayed was that people would be saved and that you would become more holy. On Sunday nights, we're doing months of teaching so that we become holy. The whole point of this church is evangelism and holiness. Because that's the reason that God has left us in the world. Let me close with this. In John 17, we see that Christians are in the world, but not of the world. We are in the world because Christ has left us here to become holy and to save sinners. But we are not of the world. He would want you to be separate and holy and distinct. May God help us to embrace our true calling. Our calling is to be holy and our calling is to lead sinners to Christ. We should be out of breath chasing people to lead them to Jesus. We should be exhausting our strength, pursuing holiness. May God help us to do that today. Oh Lord Jesus, give us the strength we need to be holy and to pursue this holiness. Forgive us for giving our strength to worldliness and to comfort and to entertainment. Forgive us for being distracted by the ease and happinesses of this lifestyle. The comforts of Egypt rather than the joys of eternity. Forgive us for doing so little to lead our children to Christ. And our neighbors and relatives and those at work. Lord help my poor preaching and my distracted words and methodology. Only that some would come to Jesus. And that your sheep might be made more holy. Keep us from sin we pray. May we be in the world for those two purposes. But not of the world. Grant these things in Jesus' name. Amen.